So today we're in week six of this series, Summer at City Hope, and what we've been doing is going through some events. You know, we had Serve Day, and we had, we, we, we've got 21 days of prayer coming up, and we've had different things going on, and we're trying to tie these messages, a few of these messages, to these events to help us grow, because we need to grow, right? Because here's the deal, if, if you give your life to Christ, we're proud of you, that's awesome, Kudos, but there is so much more after saying yes to Jesus. He wants to do something in our lives. He wants to help us grow. So that's what these sermons have been about. And today we're talking about our now generation. Right now, our young people today, the title of the message is Fighting for a Generation. We're fighting for them. We're not, in other words, we're not going to sit back. We're going on the offense. And I think that... Uh, that honestly, I think that the enemy has had generations, has, have, the enemy has had young people in his sights for millennial. He's, he's done everything he can to sidetrack and to distract young people all throughout history. And so what I want to do today is talk about, talk about maybe where that fight began. Where, where did this generational war between young people and the devil start, right? Where did that start? And then I want to give you some principles on how to live out what God wants for our lives, how to fight for our generation, how to navigate your own life. So I think that this war between the generations, between young people and, and the enemy, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all right? Now, if you're familiar with the story, then you know that in Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he creates all the living things, and he, he does all of the creation story, and then he creates man, Adam and Eve. And he gives them one instruction, just one thing. You can do anything. You have dominion. You have power and authority over everything in the garden, except I don't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And if you don't know the story, what do they do? They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why is it that we do that? Like, hey, don't look at that. What? And you want, you want to know, what am, I not, what am I supposed to not look at, right? I remember it being in gym class one time, and the, the, the gym instructor gives us this, in like junior high, she gives us this stack of papers. Oh, don't look at page 13. What does everybody in the room do? What's on page 13, right? Well, God says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what do they do? They eat from it. And, and they ate from it because they were deceived. They were lied to by the, by the enemy, by the devil. He was disguised as a serpent. And he convinces them, nothing bad is going to happen when you eat this. God just doesn't want you to have fun. You won't surely die. And yes, they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually that day. When they, ate the, when, they, when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, what, so, so God is upset now at the enemy. He's upset at the serpent, and he, he gives this prophetic curse to the enemy on that day. And in Genesis chapter 3, you can see it here on the screen. God says to the serpent, because you've done this, because you tricked my people, because you lied to them, you deceived them, Cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity. There will be hostility. There will be, there will be dissension. There will be hatred between you and the woman. Come on, ladies. Y'all don't like snakes, do you? <laughs> right? 
Come on, get behind me, devil. I don't like snakes, right? And, and you know, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, and this is the line I want you to see, and between your offspring and her offspring. And this word offspring is seed, between you and, and her seed, those who are coming. And here, here's what I want you to get, devil. God's prophesying to him. Here's what you need to know, that he's going to crush your head. Oh, yeah, you're going to strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Come on, somebody. That's what the, this generation today, I believe they don't have to fall victim and fall prey to the lies of the enemy, to the tactics of the enemy, to the temptations of this world. But this generation today, the now generation, will crush the head of the enemy. Can I get a witness today? I just believe it. I believe that. And Jesus, here's the good news. Jesus has already crushed the head of the enemy. This was a prophetic uh, a word for, for Jesus. The enemy's already defeated, and guess what? Jesus gave you and I authority over the enemy. And we're, we're all living like we don't have power, we don't have authority, or we don't have, we don't have that in our lives, but we do. He's given us. Jesus gave us that power in our lives. So we, we keep moving. Now, I want you to imagine what the enemy felt like when God gives him this, this, this curse. He says, they're going to crush your head. And I want, I want you to think about that. He's pulling out all the stops. The enemy just says, hey, you know what? If you're going to be like that, I'm going to get them before they ever, b- b- before they get to me. If, if that's the way it's going to be, God, I'm going to get them before they ever get to me. But here's what we want for our kids. We want to fight for our kids. We want to fight for this generation. We want their ceiling, right? We, we want our ceiling to be their floor. We want them standing on our shoulders. Come on, y'all. We're not waiting until they grow up, until they age out. No, right now they can be leaders. Right now they can hear God's voice. Right now they can do the impossible. Right now they can do what God's called them to do. So we're trying to fight for our generation. And the enemy is fighting for our generation too. God has a plan for your kids, and so does the devil. He does. So we've got to fight for our generation. And I personally believe that, that this is why. Like the, the, like the enemy knows something's up with kids. He knows that's, that's, where, that's where they're molded and they're shaped. And I believe that's why he has tried to stop kids throughout the generations. You go all the way back to the Old Testament, to Moses. In Moses' day, the Hebrews had grown to such a large population inside of Egypt, and and God was getting ready to deliver them from Egypt. The enemy knew something's about to happen. I don't know who, but there's a deliverer coming somewhere. I can sense it. I can feel it. And so he puts into the heart of Pharaoh to throw all of the newborn Hebrew baby boys into the Nile River. To murder them because he's trying to get rid of this deliverer that's coming. Fast forward a few thousand years into the day of Jesus and John the baptizer. Now there's a savior coming. And he knows there's, there's someone's rising up. There's a potential coming up out of this generation. And I've got to do something to stop it. So the enemy puts it into the heart of Herod to kill all of the children two years and younger. Because of a fear because he knew something. There was a potential rising up out of the offspring, the seed, right? There's something coming. And I think, that's, I think you see that today even in our generation with the slaughter of children. And we have to fight for our generation. We have to fight for our kids. Amen? Amen. 
So Annalise and I, we raising four boys. We're raising four boys, and I'm telling you, it is, it is the hardest thing that we've ever done in our lives. I mean it. I'm serious. I'm telling you, building this church is a whole lot easier than raising four boys. I'm here to tell you right now, if, if I'm lying, I'm dying. And I know, I know you think that we came from the preacher factory, right? We're, we're just kind of cookie cutter and we're molded. We're, we don't have problems. Oh, he's the pastor. He's the preacher. They don't have problems in their family. They never fight over silly things. They never argue. They don't have financial strains. They don't have disagreements. And their kids, they always are obedient. They always obey on the first time every time. I know, I know how preachers go, right? Mm-hmm. That ain't happening. I can tell you right now, all of that happens, right? We're no different than anybody else. Pastors and preachers, we, we, we have struggles. We have issues just like everybody else. We go through the same thing, and I'm telling you because I, I, I want to I sympathize with you. We know what it's like to raise kids. And, and whether you believe us or not, kids, students, college, age, young adults, we know what it's like to be where you were too. You know what I'm saying? Like we've been there. It may have been a while, but we've been there. We've, we've been there before. And we've, we've got... We've got a while before we're on the other side of raising kids. Our oldest is 13, and our youngest is three. Help me, Jesus. I'm telling you, 10-year gap and a three-year-old, and he's, he acts like he's the boss baby. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's in control. And he is a lot of times. I'm like, who, who made you king here, right? We've, we've got a ways to go before we have kids out of our house. But, but here's what I've come to know. This, this is my vision for my boys. Like This is what I want, my goal for my boys. At the end of the day, when they're grown and when they're out of my house, I want three things for them. I want them to love God. I want them to love me and their mother. And I want them to love you, the church. Because if, I, if, if I'm a great pastor, but my kids don't love God, then I lose. If I'm a great leader, but my kids don't love you, the church, I lose. If I, if I can lead you to Christ, but I can't lead my family to Christ, I lose. So I want, for my boys, my goal is to love God, just love Him, to love me and your mom, let's, let's grow old together. Let's be one big, happy family. Let's, let's have good relationships when, when we're old and gray. And then, and then let's, let's love the church. Let's love the people. And that's what I want for my boys. I, I want that desperately. So I, I want that so bad, a matter of fact, that we, we decided that we're going to do a year of discipleship with our boys. Maybe it's something you want to do with your kids, your daughter, your, your sons. A year of discipleship. In fact, we are squeezing, we're squeezing one year of discipleship into two years of discipleship. That's how much we love it. When, you know, it's like the guy, who, the guy who put his four-year degree into eight years, right? It's kind of like that, right? We're just putting one year into two years. And we're, what, what a year of discipleship is, is where we take three categories. Physical challenge, a mental challenge and a spiritual challenge. Like the spiritual challenge is, what do you want to see God do in your life? Where do you want to be? Where's your relationship with God? 
And we work towards that. And the mental challenge is maybe a number of books that we read. Maybe it is a challenge intellectually that we do together. And we study and we read. And then, and then the physical challenge is something we actually are doing this week. Right after the service today, me and Garrett and Jason are driving to Colorado Springs. And we're going to hike to the summit of Pikes Peak, 14,115 feet in the air, 13 miles in one day. Help me, God, why did we decide to do this? But that's what we're going to do. It's a challenge for us. We're not hikers, but that's why we're doing it, because it's a challenge. We've we've been gearing up for it. It's a challenge. And what we decided was Garrett's going to become a man. He is a man. He's 13. He's a man in God's eyes. He's a man. And, and he can become a man by me just saying, hey, man, just go get him. Man, you, you go do your thing. Hope, hope everything pans out for you. Or I can walk with him step by step. And I can help mold him and shape him into the man of God that God has called him to be. I don't know which one I want him to be. I think he, I want him to be the man of God, right? I don't want to just hands off go say, hey, you know, trial and error. Just see what happens. No, 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 no. We, we've got to be intentional with our kids. With our generation. We've got to fight for them. So in this year of discipleship, y'all can pray for me this week. Because we, we are going to be hiking on Tuesday. And, and it's, it's going to be fun. We're going to have a great time. And I hope to come back all in one piece, right? It's kind of like a rite of passage for him. So raising four boys really isn't... It, it, let me say it this way. It's not just the hardest thing I've ever done. It's the most important thing I've ever done. It's the most important thing. And it's not only the most important thing, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. It's rewarding to see what God is doing in their lives. But let me tell you this. I'm not just in a fight for, for my kids. I'm in a fight for your kids. I'm in a fight for your kids. We're, we got to fight together. Because we're better together. We're in a fight for our kids. Do you know why? Because Genesis chapter 4 says that sin is crouching at their door. And it desires to have them. They have to master it. They have to learn to rule over it. Oh, it's really not all that bad, Ben. It's, you know, it's, I think maybe you're going overboard. No, 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 no. Sin is crouching at their door. It wants to destroy our kids. So, so what do we do? What do we do about this? How do we fix it? Because I remember growing up, I remember being in their shoes. And I remember the things that I went through and the temptations and the sin. And it was a whole lot harder to find sin back then. And now all you have to do is just pull out your phone, this little rectangle device, and you can have anything you want in a matter of minutes or Days, depending on how long it takes Prime to get to your doorstep, right? You can have whatever you want. It's just, it's all in our fingertips, and it's a different age. It's a different story. So sin is crouching at the door. What do we do about this? What's the answer? Well, it's found in Nehemiah. The first part of that answer is don't be afraid. Come on, don't live in fear. Don't, don't, don't live like with your head under a rock or in the sand, but don't be afraid about this. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome? I, I read that like a question. I, I, let me ask you, do you remember the Lord who's great and awesome? Okay, well, if you do, then fight. That's the second part of the answer. Fight for your families. 
Fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Fight. That's the answer. That's what we're doing here today. We're learning how to fight for a generation. And you need to know that here at City Hope, we have a fight plan. Not, not a flight plan, a fight plan, right? A fight. Like we're, we're going into war. There's a battle plan here. And I want you to know about that. You know, a youth ministry looks a whole lot different today than it did years ago. How many of you grew up in a church youth group, like on Wednesday nights or something like that? A lot of us did. But did you know that there wasn't even such a thing as a church youth group before the 1940s? There, there, was, there wasn't such a thing. And churches begin to realize, man, we don't have any young people coming to our church. And so a guy created a ministry called Young Life. And we have a great local chapter here in Wichita Falls. Young Life. It's a place where they could, uh, teenagers could get together. They could study God's word. They could, they could uh, be in community with one another. They, they could have relationship with, with each other. They could grow in their walk with God. But it's not a church, right? And so churches started to catch on. The 50s and 60s youth groups started to evolve. And churches started putting youth groups. And like, we, we, we got to focus on young people. We, we got to do what we can to raise up young people. And so they created a separate service because, you know, they didn't want to change Sunday morning because that's for adults. That's for the big people. So they didn't want to change Sundays. So they, they added something on Wednesday for, for, for young people. For middle schoolers and high schoolers and college so they could have their own service and they could have their own place to worship. And I was a youth pastor for a while. I grew up in a youth group too and I was a youth pastor for a little bit. So our youth building, man, we had, we had stuff from the local high schools hanging on the wall. We, we did things a little bit different in the youth service. Like we, we had um, more dynamic worship. Maybe it was one way with the adults, but we could have a little bit more freedom in youth church, right? So we just pulled out the stops and we had stage lights going way before they ever had stage lights or, you know, in, in the big church. And, and we, would, they had an, we had an awesome teacher in my youth group when I was the leader. He was an incredible communicator. He was just so good. He would just preach the word of God in power. Y'all didn't get it. Uh, that was me. I'm just being silly. Like, I was supposed to laugh, but you didn't. And anyway, it was awesome. And we, we did things like icebreakers. And the icebreaker, I remember one icebreaker that we used to do was called Fear Factor. And we would take this, this pan of pig's feet and we would cover it in jack, jack mackerel, crushed jack mackerel. And we would make teenagers bob for the pig's feet. It was kind of like what we do on Sundays, right? <laughs> no, the, the, in, in a lot of ways, except for the pig's feet and crushed jack mackerel, it was a lot like we do church today. It was, it was very similar, very similar. And what we realized over the years, doing youth church on Wednesday, separate from Sunday, wasn't really making a difference in the lives of young people. I want you to listen to me. Hold up. I'm not saying by and large, but listen to me. Like, what we realized, and statistics prove it, the teenagers who would go to church on Wednesday but never came to church on Sunday were almost always, almost always dropping out of church after they graduated high school. Almost always, across the board, they graduated, they would visit church on a Sunday morning, they'd be like, what is this? What are y'all doing in here? Why do y'all dress so different? Why do you 
talk so different? Why do you pray in the King James? Like all these different, like what are you doing? Like it's, they didn't understand it. And so they dropped out of school. Church, Sunday morning church was not essential for them. And so they dropped out altogether and they began to remarry or they begin to get married later on in life, and they realize, oh, you know, we, kinda, we should probably raise our kids in church. They started coming back to church. And so City Hope has a fight plan, but it doesn't look like most churches in America. Our, our church youth group doesn't have a Wednesday night youth service because this is our youth service. I hope you get that. We don't have a Wednesday night youth church because this is our youth church. I want us to be the kind of church where we we don't stop reaching young people. I want us to be the kind of church where a young person, a young adult wants to be at church on Sunday because it's their kind of thing. Amen? That's what I want. And what we've realized over the years is that there's some principles that we built our church on. In Alabama, we build our church here on these four principles, and they make a difference. So our church looks a little bit different. Our youth group looks a little bit different. It's built around some principles that I want to give you today. And, and if you will apply these principles in your life, I'm telling you, it will change your life. It will change your kid's life. If you help them with these principles, it will work every single time. So number one is this. We have to help our kids find the right friends. This principle number one. Principle number one. If we're going to fight for a generation, we have to help, help this generation find the right friends. Hey, we have to have the right friends. Come on, somebody. We got to have the right friends. It, 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 it applies to us in the same way. So whether you're a parent, a grandparent, maybe you're here, you don't have kids, maybe you're a young adult, maybe you're a student. What I'm saying applies to you no matter where you are in life. You have to find the right friends because one of the most important decisions you will ever make in this life are the friends that you choose. That you are the sum total of the relationships that you have in your life. That you probably couldn't tell me the last five messages I preached, but you could tell me five people who've had a good or bad influence on your life. And your life is not determined and it's not shaped by information. It's shaped by the people that you hang out with. I'm figuring to preach. I'm, getting, I'm excited about this part because I know like what the difference made in me. That you have got to have people who are more than just some anonymous friendships in a small group. you got to get a little bit deeper. you got to get a little bit deeper. And here's the thing. You've got to choose your friends carefully because a mirror will reflect your face, but what you're really like is shown by the friends that you choose. I'm going to say that again so you can write that down, right? A mirror will reflect your face, but what you're really like on the inside is determined by the friends that you choose. It's determined by the people that you hang out with. The people that you invite into your life. Why is that? Because 1 Corinthians says, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Oh, but not with Johnny. Johnny's a good guy. For a little while. You know what I'm saying? Because bad company corrupts good character. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Like, it's really not all that bad. They're just hanging out a little bit here and there. Bad company corrupts good little boys. 
good, sweet girls. It does. Let me say it to you this way. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. I'll tell you where you'll be in 10 years. Just show me your friends. Oh, man, that's not true. Just ask some of my family. Just ask some people that I know, that I grew up with. Where are they? Some are in the grave. Because bad company corrupts good character. And, and what I'm, I'm not even trying to scare, nothing like that. I'm just trying to convince you today that it matters the people you hang out with. It matters. And if you just take it from me, listen, I know because I was the bad company at one time in my life. Do you know what I'm saying? Not only, not only was I hanging around bad company, I was the bad company. And then it wasn't until I got around some good people in my life, some people who would pour into me and encourage me and pray for me and lift me up that things started to change in my life. So God's called us to, to be separate from the world, but not to be isolated from the world. We, we're going to rub shoulders with people all the time. So let, let me say it this way, that we have a student ministry that's very intentional. And it doesn't look like most of the other student ministries in town. It's based around small groups that meet throughout the week. We call them city groups. We call them city groups. And if you want more information about city groups, maybe you're a student out there or a parent, and you're like, what, what, what's the first step? How do I get connected it, with youth group at City Hope? In your worship guide and on the screen is a little card. You can take that with you. It has a number on there. You text that number. You can text it right now. It'll send you an auto reply just real quick telling you what's What's in it for students? What happens with our students? And, and there's a Facebook group that you can be part of. But the reason why we do small groups for students is because it gives them an opportunity to just get a little bit smaller, but not too small. To just get out of the Sunday morning service and to continue building relationships with a bunch of their friends that have a positive influence on their life. Come on, y'all. City groups are where it's at. That, that, that's the relational part of what happens in our student ministry. But you can't just go to groups. You can't just go to small group. Can I tell you, you need to be in church too. And, and, and I don't want this to sound self-serving at all. It's going to sound self-serving for the pastor to tell you to go to church. But listen, you need to go to church. A lady in the first service, she told me before it started, she said, we're going to be gone the next two weeks. I don't want you to think we're just bailing on you. But, but we're going on vacation, but I've got to be here every Sunday, she said, because this is my guardrail. This is where I come. This is where I get re-centered. This is where I reconnect with God. This is how I can worship him and serve him. This is how I can connect with some other people. This is how I can dive in a little bit deeper. And this is what we need in our lives. Don't just go to small group. Go to church. Be involved in the local church. Why? Because the Bible says that you will flourish and you'll grow when you're planted in the house of the Lord. It's the difference between a palm tree and a Bradford pear. When we get to heaven, I'd like to know, God, why did you create the Bradford pear? It's the most useless tree ever. The slight little wind that comes, what happens to it? It just breaks apart, man. just blow, blows apart. There's a city, I think, I think it was in Georgia, that's like banning Bradford pears. Like, we don't want you in our city anymore. Cut them down. That's the difference between a Bradford pear and a palm tree. What's the difference? Palm trees will bend, but they won't break. 
You see, what I'm talking about is if you're planted in the house of the Lord, then you're going through stuff in life and you're like, yeah, we've got some financial difficulties right now because Joe lost his job and and we don't really know what we're going to do. We think we might have to move, but we're not really sure what's going to happen. But what we know is this, that we're planted in the house of the Lord and because we're planted in the house of the Lord, everything's going to be okay. Well, you know, my kids are in rebellion right now and they're not really listening to me and we've had a skirmish and there's just some disconnection in our family right now. I don't really know what to do, but I go to church every week and I serve God and I know everything's going to be okay because I'm planted in the house of the Lord. You look at those palm trees during a gale force wind of the hurricane and they're laid over like this, but when that wind stops, they're coming right back up. That's what God wants for you. That's what happens when you're planted in the house of the Lord. You bend, but you don't break. You're planted. You're planted. All right, that's a sermon all in itself right there, y'all. Well, the second thing that we've got to do is we have to lead our our generation, our young people, through what I call God-given design. God-given design. And what I'm talking about is, I'm going to say it this way, that not every one of you are living your life on purpose right now. Not every one of you are living out the design that God has for you. Another way to say it is that you're living your life about us. You're living your life based on a set of values and beliefs about yourself, but they're they're not the right values and they're not the right beliefs that God has for you. You're, You're living out the wrong script. It's like you're in a play called life. And you're, you're playing the wrong part in the play because you don't have the right script for your life. And, and God has the right script for your life. He knows exactly what you're supposed to do. And he has the right script for you. Can I say it this way? That God's plan for you is way better than your plan for you? The Bible says in Acts that it's in him, in Jesus, in God that we live and we move and we have our being and we have our purpose and we find our destiny and we know what we're supposed to do. And as some of your own prophets have said, you're his offspring. You're the seed to crush the devil's head. You're the seed. You, you, you belong. You, you're, the, you're the offspring You have your being in no one else but God. So if you want your life to make sense, then you have to get close to God because you can't find your purpose. You can't find your design anywhere else but Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness today if you believe that? It's in him and him alone. And that's why we believe in growth track so much. It's part of what we do here. And if you come to City Hope, you're going to hear it over and over and over again. Because we believe in helping people discover why God put them on this earth. That if you know why you're here, you can go out and make a difference in the world. And that's what number three is really all about. Is helping our students, helping us live our lives to be others focused. Put others first. Are you hearing me today? Because we live in a generation that's all about... Me, my selfie, and I. I, I, I got to get, I gotta get the, the puckered lips. What's up, y'all? Me, my selfie, 
and I. There, there's a song, I can't remember who it was. It got stuck in my head this week as I was preparing the message. I want to talk about me, want to talk about my, want to talk about number one, oh my, what I like, what I want, what I think, what I don't, what I feel. Exactly. The worst music video ever created. If you Google it, I was like, who thought of this? It was terrible. But that's how we feel in life. And while we might not, we might not admit it, that's us. We like, we like to think about us, me first, what's in it for me, what happens if, if I do this, what about, what about me? And it's so polar opposite, so polar opposite to what God wants in our lives. And what it does is it breeds a, an entitlement mentality where you owe me something. I deserve this, right? But that's not what God wants for our lives. Instead, he, he want, when we live with others first in mind, we say, hey, you don't owe me anything. I'm a servant. You don't owe me anything. I'm here to serve. I'm here to love. I'm here to bless you. You, 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 couldn't, you couldn't, I don't deserve anything anyway. What I really deserved was death and hell, but God's been so gracious and I'm, I'm in love with him now that I'm serving you. Right? To put other people before the needs of ourselves. And, and in our family, we have a family vision. Several years ago, Annalise and I went on a marriage retreat, and we came up with a, a family vision. And there's four things that the Murray family does. And the four things we do is that we love. We love people. We love God. It's who we are. We, we give. We love, give. We're generous people. Not just in the church world, we're generous outside of this. I One day we'll tell you stories about how God has used us to be generous, to give. But the third thing is we love, give, but we honor. Number three is we honor. And then, and then lastly, we lead people. We're not followers. We're not waiting for somebody to take the reins. We lead people. We're going to lead. We're, we believe God's called us to do that. That's our family. We don't sit back. We're, we're go-getters. And so when it comes to honoring people, we have a theme verse. And it's found in Philippians chapter 2. And Paul says this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. That's kind of like, a, like, like you only really need to just put selfishness or ambition because they're the same thing. Right? It says selfish ambition. Do, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Uh, rather... In humility, value others above yourself. What? You mean put somebody else above me? And not looking to your own interests, to what's in it for you, but each of you to the interests of others. And that's what God calls us to do, is to put other people first in our lives. And if you make your life all about you, you're going to be miserable. But if you make your life all about other people, I'm telling you, you couldn't be happier. Amen. Scientists, in fact, scientists say that when you serve other people, when you are making a difference in other people's lives, it releases endorphins. Yeah. Right, the, the same kind of thing like you know, when you have to see how many likes you got on your social media, those chemicals that are released in your brain, same kind of thing happens. It, 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 it's a natural thing like, oh man, I feel so good. I'm laying my head down at night knowing I made a difference for somebody else in my life. In their life. And so others focused. Others first. 
And number four, the last one that I want to give you. Really, this is the first one, but the last one is, is this. As parents, as we fight for a generation, students, as you fight for yourself, young adults, as you're going through college, you're, you're, you're establishing your life, your career, this is the most important, a genuine conviction. A genuine conviction. It, so it, it, it goes like it assumes that there must be something that's not genuine. Do you know what I'm saying? It assumes that there must be a false conviction, if I have to say a genuine conviction. But a genuine conviction says, no, this is who we are. We don't stray from this. As a family, this is what we do, this is what we believe. This is how we serve God. This is the vision for our family. We're not going to the right or to the left. This is who we are. Jesus talked about this false conviction in Matthew chapter 15. He says that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They say the right things. These people, they, they even do the right things. They pray for people. They, they love people. They serve on the worship team, production, greeting, kids. They, they, they go to church. They sing songs. But their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are distant. And God's calling this. Maybe you're like me. You grew up in a church where you just kind of went through the motions, right? Like you grew up following the teachings of Jesus, but you didn't know Jesus, And you need to know that Christianity is not a bunch of rules. It's not religion. It is relationship. It is relationship. In fact, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to pray. All you need to do is come to know the one behind all of that stuff. Jesus. Be in love with him. And and parents, you don't have to do it perfectly. Listen, I'm not perfect at this. I struggle as a parent. But one thing I try to do is to give my kids a genuine conviction. And if you ask them, they would tell you, yeah, my dad loses it sometimes. He's not perfect. He's not perfect. But I wake up in the morning and I see him reading his word. I wake up in the morning and he's praying. I wake up in the morning and he's... He's crying out to God. He's not perfect, but he's genuine. He's, and I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm simply saying I don't have it together. And my kids would tell you that. I'm simply just trying to model for them, not out of duty. I'm trying to model for my boys. What does it look like to have genuine conviction? He loves God. My dad's not perfect, but he loves God. Jesus goes on in... In Matthew, in the same book, he goes on in in chapter 7, verse 21. This is actually a little bit before what we just read. But he kind of gives us a better understanding of this genuine conviction. See, growing up, we heard all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. There is truth in that, absolutely. But then Jesus gives us this curveball and he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
well, God, I thought I mean, you said that if we called you Lord, we, we're saved. And he says, but only the ones who do the will of the Father. Right? Only the ones who do the will of the Father. And then he goes on to say, on judgment day, many people on that day will say, Lord, Lord, man, we, we, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We healed the sick. We performed miracles in your name. And then on judgment day, Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers, I never knew you. See, Jesus isn't looking for somebody to just do a bunch of stuff for him. He's looking to know us, to have relationship with us. That's what he wants out of this. And so my commitment to you, I'm making a commitment before God and in front of you today that we are going to fight for our generation. We're going to fight for our generation to find the right friends in their lives. We're not just going to be hands off and, yeah, do what you want to, learn by trial and error. We're going to help them discover and find their God-given design, their purpose, what God wants to do in their lives. And we're going to take their eyes off of themselves and put them on Jesus and put them on somebody else and help serve and help make a difference and help love somebody, all because they have a genuine conviction that God is my God. He is my solid rock. I won't turn to anybody else, to the right or to the left. He is my father. He is my king. He's my everything and my trust is in him. That's what I want for this generation. We're fighting for them together. We're fighting for them. In fact, on August 11th of this year, just in a few weeks, we're doing what we call a student prayer service. And in that prayer service, uh, it's going to be much like we normally do. Uh, everything's going to be very similar, but we're going to take some time during worship to pray for our students who are going back to church. So you can go ahead and start planning now to have your, your kids that are going back to school, whether it's uh, college or down, going back to school, and we're going to pray over them. Uh, we're going to call them to the front. We'll have our city kids come in here and the adults will lead them in here. We'll pray over them. We'll lay hands over them. And the scripture says to anoint with oil. And, and, and all that simply means, I know some churches don't do that. Well, here we go. He's going to pull out that anointment oil on them. Nothing weird's going to happen. The anointing oil, all that represents is the presence of God. All throughout scripture, that's all it represents. And we're just going to put, mark them with the anointing oil. This, you are marked with the presence of God. You're going back to school this year full of the Spirit of God, full of His power, full of His anointing. It's not going to be hard for you to choose the right friends. It's not going to be difficult for you to find your purpose in life. It's not going to be hard for you to go out and serve other people and be focused on somebody else. It's not going to be difficult because you have a genuine conviction. A genuine conviction. And so I want you to begin planning now. Be here on August 11th, the, the Sunday before school starts back. And we're going to send those students back full of the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's give God praise for that. I want to close out today just, just by simply asking you the question I ask you every week. And that is, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? If you would, just bow your heads with me. And maybe you're here today and you say, Ben, 
I just really feel like the Lord's saying to me, I've been going through the motions. I've been, I've been doing things my own way. I've been doing things the, the way that I wanted to. I, I, I thought I knew God, but I've just been going through the motions. I'm not sure that I have a genuine conviction. I'm honoring him with my lips, but my heart couldn't be further from him today. Or maybe you're like me and you grew up in a church. You grew up going to church. You grew up serving in church, but you haven't met God personally yet. You're not in a real relationship with him. Or maybe you're a Christian and you walked away from God and you feel the difference. You, you sense the distance between you and God right now. And I just want to pray for you. We're not going to make you stand up. We're not going to single you out in any way. But if you're here today, you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ to start a life-giving relationship with him. If that's you, let me just see you. Lift up your hand real quick. Just, just between me and you, God bless you. God bless you. Who else today would say, that's me, Ben? Count me in that prayer. I'm going all in. I'm going all the way. I'm not going through the motions. Count me in that prayer. I'm all in today. Who else would just say, that's me? That's me. God bless you. Amen. Hey, let's pray this prayer together. With boldness and with courage, let's say this prayer. Say, Jesus, I'm going all in. I belong to you. I'm not my own. Give me a genuine conviction so that I can love you and serve you and live for you. Will you cleanse me, wash me, make me new, white as snow, I give you my life from this day forward. I am yours. You are mine. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen.